Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seth, how are you? I'm just grateful to have such an awesome community that supports us yeah. to make this podcast possible. It's so true. And we are celebrating our community today because today's episode uh, is a special episode, kind of outside our normal rhythm, because we held a uh, online event f- just exclusively for our monthly donors, people who give a little bit or a lot every single month to Spoken Gospel to help us make free resources like this podcast and give them away for free. And we had a poll yeah, we had a poll about which episode would you most want to hear on the podcast, and this one won. This one won. What really happened on the road to Emmaus, I think is how we worded it at the yeah. event. Um, and so really, really excited to talk about this uh, for several reasons. I, like well, One being, this is like the foundational verse of Spoken Gospel. Jesus opens up Scripture and reveal, talks about how every part of Scripture is about him. Yeah. That's literally what we do. It's kind of our thing. Uh, introductions. <laughs> what's the main point of that book? How does that main point point to Jesus? Every single devotion. What's the main point of that literary unit of Scripture? Mm-hmm. And how does that point to Jesus? We are trying to recreate the conversation Jesus had that's on the right. road to Emmaus if he had 30 hours yes. <laughs> to do it. You know, like that's <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we're really excited to just explore our foundational story, mm-hmm. uh, scriptural story as an organization and as friends. Uh, Seth and I have kind of been wrestling out the implications of this story in Luke 24 for years together yeah, now. I mean, um, and 10 then, years as a pastor and then the several years I've been a writer here yeah. and then now on staff. So it's just like, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Um, And then beyond that, uh, you had another reason why this was a a foundational, important text. Well, this is the beginning of the message of Christianity spreading. Yeah. So Jesus rises from the dead and two women see him and nobody believes them. Mm -hmm. It's not until the road to Emmaus and Jesus opens up scripture and shares a meal with these two disciples that people begin to believe that Jesus has actually risen from the dead, that he suffered and died. So like this is the beginning yeah, of how of Christianity... The, of the Jesus movement. Of the Jesus movement. Yeah. Like this is foundationally a very like, important moment in redemptive history. Yeah. It's also like the clearest I think Jesus really ever was in his earthly ministry about like his relationship with the Old Testament. Because, you know, you say, like, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. Don't yeah. you know Moses wrote about me? Yeah. And it's like here, he's like, okay, let me open up the law and the prophets and show you how everything is about me. And we'll get more specific on what he was showing them. But mm-hmm. um, as we kind of get into this text, uh, before jumping straight into basically Luke 24, 13 to mm-hmm. 35, yeah. um, let, let's zoom out real quick and just yeah. say, okay, so Jesus has been crucified. Mm-hmm. And um, we he's been dead. For he's, three been, days. he's been dead for three days. And at the top of chapter twenty-four, two women come to his tomb, and this kicks off a three-part repeated structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just reading a commentary that talked about how this is possibly one of the best examples of uh, literary symmetry in the entire Bible. Oh, crazy! Um, and uh, another another commentary compared it to a triptych, which I had to yeah, look yeah. up. Yeah, like a painting that has yeah, three different exactly parts. Right. Yeah, exactly so like you're, you're, yeah. you're more cultured than I am. <laughs> but yeah, and I was like, oh, I've seen those before. It's like three panels mm-hmm. that tell a story to, when hung together. Yep. And Have you ever uh, seen The Garden of Earthly Divide, oh, uh, no. Delights by uh, Bosch? It's oh. that crazy. Anyway. Well, that's exciting. Just, I want to look at that later. Just look it up. Um, and so anyway, and so there are three stories that all have repeated themes, very symmetrical themes, mm-hmm. and they're all making the same point but they're also building on each other. Mm. And so you have... All in Luke 24. All in Luke 24. And so what you have is you have the two women and they come to the tomb. Why? Because they don't believe Jesus' message. They are seeking the living among the dead. Mm-hmm. And they, and whenever they find that he's, his body's not in the tomb, they're perplexed. Yeah. And like yeah. that's the rebuke against the early church here is that uh-huh. they didn't believe that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. 
Uh, and so, right, because and mm-hmm. specifically because Jesus said it so many he said times, it so many times, even in Luke and in Matt, Luke nine forty five, yes. Luke eighteen thirty four, the Messiah must come must suffer and, and die. die. He must yes. suffer and die. He says it over and over yes. and over again, and he even rebukes the disciples of the road to Emmaus. How slow of heart you were exactly. to believe. And so, what happens each time is you have a set of people who do not believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They believe that the death was final. Uh, mm-hmm. then they have an appearance of Jesus that doesn't quite solve the problem for them immediately. It's not until each of them have their eyes opened through a further revelation mm-hmm. that they then are um, enabled to believe that Jesus is risen mm-hmm. from the dead. So you have two women perplexed and confused mm-hmm. and a vision of angels tells them Jesus is risen. That's right. You have two men on the road to Emmaus who are perplexed and confused until Jesus reveals himself. Right. He opens their eyes at the breaking of bread. And then you have all the disciples who are perplexed and confused when they welcome the Emmaus Road disciples. And they're not convinced until Jesus shows up and lets them put... And and importantly, opens their their eyes. eyes. He actually like imbues his spirit onto them mm-hmm. to help them see how all the all of Moses the prophets and the psalms are about him mm-hmm. which is that's uh, Luke 24:44 which is our our verse at spoken gospel everything written must be fulfilled yeah there's a, I'm trying to find the verse right now it talks about um there oh yeah but their eyes were kept from recognizing him yes. verse 16 the i think the greek is their eyes were seized ooh yeah so it's like God actually withheld mm-hmm. his revelation right. from being revealed at that moment until something else happened first. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the triptych. That's the triptych. The, and yep. that triptych happens in one day. Yes. Jesus. Really interesting. Yeah. So the women go to the tomb. Oh my gosh. He's not here. They go to the disciples. They don't believe him. That same day, the two people from Emmaus go out, walk the seven miles to Emmaus, realize they were talking to Jesus the whole time, walk back to Jerusalem, <laughs> tell the tell all the other disciples, and they all find out all in the space of one day. Yes. It's a busy day. It's an exciting day. It's an exciting day. Yeah. And so, but we're going to focus on that middle story, which mm-hmm. if... You guys have listened to the podcast for any length of time. You know we love things like inclusios and chiasms, which this, uh, and, and the most important part of a chiasm is the middle part. Yeah. And so that's why also the road to Emmaus being the middle triptych, the middle story, mm-hmm. gets the most space, mm-hmm. is it's the one that kind of holds all the keys to the story in a sense. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And uh, it's also really exciting. So we're going to jump into it and kind of just walk through the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the first thing to notice then is what we've already said, their eyes were seized. So what does that mean? It's like, well, hold on. We haven't set up the, like the moment here. We got to set the set. Set the the scene. So you've got these two disciples. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, we have their name is Cleopas. The other is an unnamed disciple. Most mm-hmm. commentators believe this is probably a woman that is okay. with him because she w- was unnamed. <laughs> oh. And if it had been a man, it would have been named. Although different culture. Different culture. Although they don't, yeah. the Bible's not afraid to mention it's women. It's not, but that is what most people think is probably uh, Cleopas's sister or wife. Okay. So anyway, um, and so they're walking uh, to a town called Emmaus which is a seven mile journey from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And they are talking amongst themselves about everything that's happened with Jesus's death. Mm -hmm. You can imagine what that conversation would have felt like because these were two devout Jews who'd Mm -hmm. been waiting for the Messiah. They had all these ideas about Mm -hmm. what would happen when the Messiah comes, this promised one. He was going to free us from Roman Mm -hmm. oppression. He's going to ascend to David's throne. He's going to conquer our enemies, bring peace on every side, elevate us to glory. I read that there was one, at one point in time, there was a revolt, Mm -hmm. the Maccabean revolt, for a period of time under Roman rule. And for a while, uh, Jerusalem printed their own coins. And uh, on the coins, it read, the year of the Lord's liberation. Uh, it was like yes. this, oh, when Rome is defeated, yep. that's when yep. we are liberated. And yet and Jesus, whenever he came, he said, I've come to bring the year of the Lord's favor, which is exactly right. different than what you're expecting. And so when he's using that language that has in the past been associated with... Yep. Which in Luke, which is interesting, in Luke, that's the starting point of Jesus' ministry. It is exactly. So anyway. Yeah, he's like, yeah, anyway, yes. Yeah. So like... They're unmet expectations. Yes. Unmet expectations. So they are crushed. Mm-hmm. They're going home. They're leaving the holy city. Like, this is not the journey they thought they would ever have to make again. Mm-hmm. To be hanging their heads low, returning to their 
probably hometown, mm-hmm. having been embarrassed for following this Messiah who clearly turned out to be false. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about it, trying to make sense of everything that happens. And then out of nowhere, Jesus pops up behind them and is like, hey, what you talking about? <laughs> yep. That's what even happens. And their eyes, as you were saying, were kept seized. That was all necessary context for what I wanted to, <laughs> to, to prematurely get into. But yes, their eyes were seized from seeing that it was Jesus. So who sees their eyes? Oh, uh, I mean, what what options do we have? God, okay. Um, themselves, their grief, oh, their, okay. their, their misplaced hopes. Their ignorance. Um, their ignorance. I think the compelling reading is that God prevented mm-hmm. them from seeing Jesus for who he truly was. Yes. It's not, it's see like Jesus isn't, doesn't, shouldn't look different. No. You know, it's like they knew what he looked like as a human. Yep. All the scars are gone, but that, like physically there should have been no problem with them recognizing him. We aren't told Jesus is wearing a hood. We're not told, you know, like there's no physical. Wait, all de- his scars are gone. Well, I would assume that when his body is resurrected, except for the two that we're told he has. I mean, then he probably has most of some, some Maybe he has, anyway, whatever yeah. ha- whatever he looks like, right. he should have been recognizable. Absolutely recognizable, yes. So it's like the fact that they can't recognize him and that we're not given any narrative details mm-hmm. to describe why he'd be disguised Yeah, kind of leaves like God right. as the one and seizing It's probably not eyes. themselves. Because of the passive voice of that mm-hmm. seized word. That That's it's exactly right. Usually a passive involves a third party mm-hmm. and there's no one else around. Right. Uh, except Jesus. Yep. And so most likely, and Jesus, even in his earthly ministry, we're told that he reveals himself to those whom God has given him. Yep. And so that's always been Jesus's purview. Yes. Is to either withhold or reveal himself to whomever are his. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so he has that ability. <laughs> and there is a theme of bl- spiritual blindness that goes through the Gospels. That's right. In our in our Luke video, actually, in our in our spoken gospel introduction to the book of Luke, that's what we went all in on was spiritual blindness. And we had a, a person with a blindfold on, yeah. uh, like a black blindfold, and they were, phys- oh, right, they were right, physically right. blind, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were healed. But then we learned that the Pharisees who denied who Jesus was were spiritually blind, and they wore white blindfolds. Mm-hmm. And it's not until Jesus comes and through the Holy Spirit removes that spiritual blindness that we're able to see who he is. So that's, I think, what's happening. I think you're so right. So why would God hide himself why would jesus hide himself from presumably faithful disciples mm-hmm. and heartbroken disciples like yeah why seize their eyes yeah um i think because <laughs> this is a huge debated question yeah uh i think it's to show just because it happens three times mm-hmm. so it's not just here it happens three times that there's a required revelation in order for people to believe i think it's to show our need of one of Luke's most important themes in his two books, Luke and Acts, Mm -hmm. our need of the Holy Spirit, our need of divine support (laughs) to believe in the message he's written about, the the gospel message. And I mean, that makes sense. In the first row with the women, they don't believe until angels Mm -hmm. tell them to do so. Yes. These people don't believe until Jesus opens up scripture and shares a meal with them. Yep. And then the disciples don't believe them until Jesus shows up and lets them... And opens their minds. And opens their minds. Yep. So why does God seize so that he can later reveal? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, yep. And why is that important? Well, is, I mean, so it, it's important because these people, and we can progress a little in the narrative to answer mm-hmm. that question. Th- these two men, I think this is so interesting. These two men, men and knew, men, man and woman, sorry, yeah, thank yeah. you. These two people knew the gospel in a sense. They knew the facts of the gospel. They had seen Jesus face to face. And what's funny is, but not only that, they preached the gospel to Jesus in a sense, because they say, Jesus comes up and he says, what are you guys talking about? And he says, oh, you know, everything's been going on. And he's like, oh, what things have been going on? And he's like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who does not know what has happened these past days? And then he preaches him the historical events of the gospel narrative. He's, you know, he says like, well, there was this man named Jesus and we believed that he was a, a prophet from God, mighty indeed and in power. And he did all these, these miracles, but he was sentenced to death. And we, we, some have said, some of our own party have said that he rose from the dead and we even hoped that he was the Messiah. And it's like, so they've preached his incarnation, his, his good works, his miracles, his death, mm-hmm. his presumed resurrection and their messianic hopes placed in him. And yet they don't know well, that it's good news. And even more, even really ironically, and it is now the third day since uh-huh. these things happened. Jesus references the third his day. third day 
over and over and over again. Matthew 9.22, Matthew 18.33, Matthew 13. Like yep. Jesus has talked about a third day yep. a lot. A lot. So for them to like know that Jesus was a great prophet who did miracles, who suffered like they, he prophesied that he was going to do, mm-hmm. and that it's the third day, and for them to feel that the redemption of Israel is not at hand is a type of kind of a staggering blindness considering how often Jesus emphasized that. And you want to know something crazy? Okay. That blindness was also from God. We're told in Luke that they were kept from believing or uh, about the third day. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, this was the missing piece is that they were like humanity, even Jesus' own disciples who spent time with him were kept from believing in the fact of what Jesus said that he would rise again on the third day. Mm-hmm. That was a spiritual barrier that they could not get through on their own. Mm. I mean, and like, it's also just like hard to believe regardless. Right. But they were actually kept from believing it. And it they needed this moment with Jesus to yeah. spiritually push past that barrier. It may, uh, one thing that I thought about was like, an empty tomb is not enough to bring faith. Yeah. And I was like, I think like apologetics has such a strong role Mm-hmm. in the Christian life. Absolutely. But like, I feel like this text is forcing me to think about the limits of the the argumentation for the historical facts. Even if I could prove that Jesus did all the miracles that he said he did, mm-hmm. even if I could prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the tomb was empty, there was no body there, there's no explanation for it. There's something more that's needed. Yep. And that's not to knock apologetics. Definitely not. That's to say... That's what this text is demanding, I think, of what are the limits of the facts? Yep. Like the facts of the resurrection, the fact of his death, the fact of his fulfillment of prophecy wasn't enough to convince the people who saw it happen. Right. The actual eyewitnesses. Right. There's always something that must take place for a person to become a believer. And that is their eyes must be opened by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing applies. We, we often apply this story, since we're talking about it, we often apply this story to Bible reading, and I think really appropriately, because mm-hmm. in response to these people's unbelief, uh, you know, uh, Jesus opens the Bible to them. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. I'm just trying to stay on the revelation yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Um, it's like we cannot, we can come to the Bible and we can read it really well. We can know about chiasms and we can yeah. know about inclusios. We can read Greek and Hebrew. We can know about all the context mm-hmm. of the first century or the ancient Near East. But if we don't pray, you know, like Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. open my eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Mm-hmm. We will not get past ink and paper to move to face to face, to use the language like, from the last couple of weeks yeah, in yeah, second yeah. and third John. It's like really a, f- it's like offensive in mm. one way. It's like, I can't read the facts well enough to be saved. Right. I can't, to see Jesus, I can't read the facts well enough. And like, I think that's something that's a knock to my pride. Like, mm. you know, I, I, I want to say like, well, I saw the evidence, I weighed the options and that was a determining factor. But to always know that there's something of God's divine hand in that moment is a knock to my pride. Right. And it's it's kind of meant to be. Yeah. That humility is such a huge part of God that he values. And so is grace. <laughs> and those two things go so hand in hand with this idea that Jesus opens our eyes, enabling us to believe so that even our belief is an act of grace. Because what's the other option? Only the intelligent yes, can see Jesus? Exactly right. Only which, is the ones, n- which is not the message of Luke. Right. Only the ones that can read the Bible well enough. The right. only ones that understand the facts well enough. It would preclude children. It would preclude yes. the mentally disabled. Yes. It would preclude... The uneducated, The perhaps. uneducated. Yep. Like, they're, to have it any other way, apart from God doing it, would mean that, by necessity, so many more would be unable to Mm. experience the grace of Jesus. Yeah. And that's good news. That is good news. Yeah. Um, I mean, I often talk to this, uh, to like our community group Mm -hmm. when they're, you know, like, cause I'll nerd out on the Bible with them, you know, and you know, they'll ask a question about a text and they're, they'll be asking the wrong question about a text, you know? And I'm like, Oh, well actually if you think about da 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 and I get all nerdy and they're like, Oh, that's so helpful. Oh my gosh. How would I have ever known that? 
Right. Is there, and I was like, well, you read commentaries, you yeah, know, and everything yeah. like that. And a lot of times they've, there's been these moments where there's like, I just don't feel like I have enough time, you know, it's our full-time job to study the Bible. Right. Uh, they, it's not theirs. And it's like, they're like, I don't feel like I have enough time to know my Bible well enough to like see Jesus clearly. Mm. And I'll pull out this story <laughs> and tell them it's not up to you. Look at these mm. men. Look at, look at, look at these two people. Yeah. They had all the facts. They knew the Bible extremely well, the Old Testament. They knew it extremely well. But it wasn't until Jesus opened their eyes to see how it was all about him mm-hmm. that they like could actually behold yeah. him. And it's like the best teacher is the Holy Spirit that you have inside you. Yeah. The best teacher is reading the Bible. Right. And the Holy Spirit te- walking alongside. I've heard yep. somebody refer to this like as an intuition. Seeing Jesus in all of scripture is like almost an intuition, which right. is an interesting way to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us. Like he yep. gives us new intuitions, new like predilections, new directive, like a new direction our heart tends towards mm-hmm. in reading scripture. You, it's not about education, although there is an interesting fact that like Christianity is one, is the only major religion that demands some degree of proficiency in its text in order to be a part of its community. Like mm. that's a part that's unique. Islam does not demand that type of understanding of the Quran mm. or the Bhagavad Gita in Hinduism. Like mm. Christianity is unique in that being tied to the text is yeah. part of what it means to follow Jesus, right? Uh, to see Jesus. Yeah, anyway. that's really interesting. Uh, and so after they preach Jesus, his own gospel story, not knowing it's Jesus or the gospel, Jesus says that they're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Right. So let's stop there before the next phrase. Um, Jesus calls them slow of heart to believe Mm -hmm. all that the prophets have spoken. I mean, that is a loaded Old Testament turn of phrase right Mm -hmm. there. Like what was Israel's constant sin? Hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness, (laughs) stiff-neckedness, you know? Like that was always their problem was that they didn't believe God. Yeah. Um, he told them he would provide in the wilderness and they didn't need to go out and gather quail on the Sabbath. But yeah. they did anyway. Right? They He told them they don't need a physical representation of God in an idol. But at Mount Sinai, while God was on the mountain in a theophany, they built an idol and God calls them stiff-necked. It's like this was yeah. constantly happening. And he's, so he's saying, he's like, you are no different mm-hmm. from all those who did not choose to follow me up until my resurrection. All of you have been hard-hearted. It was the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees and the chief priests that led to my crucifixion in the first place. It's the spiritual lineage of attack from the blindingness of the enemy that's leading you to mm. not see me for who I am. I mean, it's a pretty firm indictment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I keep thinking about all the times Jesus quoted the prophets about mm-hmm. himself. Yes. The son of man must suffer and die. The The chosen one must suffer and die. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was reading one commentator that what Jesus does in this moment that Jesus didn't do throughout his ministry was call himself the Christ oh, as he yeah. refers to his sufferings. He, he calls himself the son of man. Mm. He calls himself a rejected prophet. Right. Like, just like the prophets, you killed me. Just like the son of man must be lifted up. You know, he'll say all that during his ministry. But here he says, the Christ must. Ah, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And so they've, they're, they know the prophets. Uh-huh. They heard the prophets spoken by Jesus but they could not see that that was true, must be true of the Christ, of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. yeah. So that's the big thing here is, um, what is the, what's the core issue that Cleopas and his companion have with what has occurred in Jerusalem at Jesus' crucifixion? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's the fact that the promised one of God, the Messiah, died. Mm-hmm. That's the issue that they have is that they, even though they knew the Old Testament, <laughs> they did not expect their Messiah to suffer and die. Yeah, you know they uh, they did not they did not know the they did not think of the suffering servant in right. Isaiah fifty five mm-hmm. or fifty three yeah. as right Jesus or even like I mean this is kind of intense but what did we just talk about in Second John mm-hmm. like. Who is the Messiah except him who comes by water and by blood? Right. And there was a didn't. It was diff, It's difficult to accept the fact that God can die. That's exactly right. The gospel is super offensive. We're we're told that it's a stumbling block. Yeah, for yeah. Jews, it's foolishness. And yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. How could God die? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for or modern the, people, I think it's right. Pretty 
dumbfounding. Yeah. And it's like, but that's the whole point. And that's in, in, in my opinion, that is why the Messiah tarried for 2000 years or, or for, however long meant, throughout the old Testament. Oh, why Jesus didn't come before. Right. Why didn't he book- just come at the beginning? It's to, to, to show us throughout so much history, not only our need for a, a Messiah, you know, and to show us about the character mm-hmm. of God and the depravity of our sin, you know, like we are, you know, we needed that, that time. But beyond that, it's like he wanted to embed history and his inspired mm-hmm. word, the old Testament mm-hmm. with point after point, proof after proof, promise after promise that God was going to come and God was going to die for the sins of his people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if he didn't have all that, like we would not have believed when it happened. Mm-hmm. And it, that's why I like to call the old Testament our first and longest gospel. Right. Cause it's just telling that story yeah, that yeah, God yeah. is going to come and God is going to die for the sins of the people over and over and over again. Yes. And it's like, that's, and that's what, so that's what Jesus does next. And if you've listened to our podcast through any of our ultimate books, it's like, that's what we do. We try to do that <laughs> yeah. every single time. And yeah, you're right. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Yeah. So um, Moses and all the prophets. Uh, That's what my translation says. So uh, that is shorthand for the whole old Testament. Yep. Uh, Just Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the Torah, and then the prophets being everything else, everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So much just because those are the two main headings of the Hebrew Bible. Now we'll get the full breakdown uh, in the next story, which are which are Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Yep, yep. I was uh, just that's gonna the, say that. That's yeah. the whole by. That's like, but like Jesus did that too. He didn't skip. He didn't, he didn't skip. skip the, he, didn't, he didn't skip wisdom literature. No, he did not. <laughs> it's a. It's just shorthand. I mean, so much so that you could. Uh, Any Jesus does this in John. He uses just Moses. The yes. writings of Moses mm-hmm. uh, to refer to the whole Testament. Yeah, it was it was common parlance. So I mean, this is a big deal for us personally, mm-hmm. and we think for Christians everywhere, because Jesus in this moment is telling us how to read the longest, the longest section of your Bibles. That's right. And how to, and how to interpret them. And how to interpret them. And I think that's like a missing piece in a lot of churches, a yes. lot of pastors. A lot of Bible studies. Yes, we read. It was the, for mine for so I mean, yeah. long. We read the Bible because it's primarily it's about me, yep. or a way to help me feel better about myself, or a way to help me live a better life, or right. to live a more godly life, mm-hmm. or a more righteous life. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the Bible is about me being more like God. Right. Which would, it's not. Not less about than that. It's not less than that. Right. That is definitely part of it. But it's way more than that. But what Jesus is saying, primarily, firstly. The Bible is about me and what I'm accomplishing for you, mm-hmm. not what you must do or right. should do or could do. That's a big difference. Big difference. We talk about like we win when uh, like our mission, our, mm-hmm. our organization wins when the conversation around your Bible study doesn't say, well, what does that mean for you? Or mm-hmm. what should what should we do about this text? Right. But like, how does this text tell me more about the good news of Jesus? Yes. That's the needle we're trying to move in society, in the in Christian society, is to change the conversations that happen at coffee shops when two friends get together and study their Bibles. So what yeah. does this text say to you? Yeah. That's the question that's often asked. And yeah. we want to change that question to Dude. first and foremost. I don't mind that question. It's a good question. If it comes next. Yes. Uh, and we want the first and most central and most grounding question to be, how do you see Jesus in this text? We want your first Bible study question to be the first thing Jesus did when he had a Bible study. Yes, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely right. Um, so there, I, I was going to ask you, should we talk about it? But in me asking the question, um, we're going to talk about it. Uh, there's a debate. Uh-huh. around what all scriptures mean. Oh, well, that's right. Yep. So it's, some people think that it's, uh, and I would fall in this camp, that all the scriptures meant that he went through the totality of the Bible. Not that he read every single passage in the Old Testament, uh, but that it, it was referring to all of scripture. And mm-hmm. he showed them probably key moments throughout yep. all of scripture that it's only seven he miles. fulfilled. Right, it's only seven miles. Yeah. Uh, other people want to say that it's, um, he showed them all the times the Old Testament prophesied about him. Oh, like there's 10 times in that seven Those miles, the ones. He, got, he got the 10 out. And there's no more than that. Uh, I just, 
I think I can't I can't see that, especially with how the New Testament authors in the epistles and things right. used so many things that seem to have nothing to do with Jesus <laughs> to right. talk about that that this is a fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled this. Like when Hosea says, Out of Egypt I've called my son. Yes. It has yes. nothing to do with a clear promise of the Messiah. Yeah, I'm even thinking and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. This is the start. This is the start of the conversation. Yeah. And then the fact that when Jesus shows up to his disciples in the next story, yes. the fact that he expands with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Like I think they're I think Jesus means something more expansive than a few representative stories. Yes. Um, yeah. Because and, it must, because yep. to your point, you have things in scripture that don't seem like they get tied to Jesus, like the one right. in Matthew, but also the fact that the book of Revelation, which is you know the last book of the Bible mm-hmm. that's talking about Jesus, God's plans for all of human history has some 400 and something Old Testament allusions. Mm. John couldn't, shouldn't have put 400 allusions to different texts if only 10 representative stories right. were about Jesus. Like the Bible leans that direction in its allusions and stories and the rep- the stories we do have that point to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think I think the I think every story points us to Jesus. Yes. Yep. And it's like and even in that second in that third story, I mean, the one you were just talking mm-hmm. about with the Moses the prophets and Psalms, that's our that's our foundational verse here, Luke 24:44, and it says uh, the the Greek, you know, together, mm-hmm. which is funny. I just literally yeah. finished hanging up these Greek words on mm-hmm. my wall in my office. Uh, they literally translate, everything written must be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. It's just like simple as that. Yeah, Everything in our Bibles that was written, referring to the Old yeah. Testament, must be fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. Now that could have already been fulfilled in his earthly ministry. It could have been fulfilled in his death and resurrection. It could be fulfilled in his reign. It could be being fulfilled through his indwelling of his people now. It could be fulfilled when he returns in the second coming or in our eternity with him. Yeah. But Jesus must, there's an imperative to the mm-hmm. to the Greek there. Everything written must be fulfilled in mm-hmm. Christ. There's a there's a bent to the universe. I mean the 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 you know the like Paul said, from him, through him, and to him are all things. Yep. That includes God's word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's no. my that's my hard sell on yeah. all being all. <laughs> the only limitation that I would give to the all yes. is that not every single detail. Like what, we, what, yes. we, what we don't mean by that is that the scarlet thread in, that hung out yes. of Rahab's uh, window in, judges, in, yeah. in, in Joshua. Joshua, sorry. In Joshua. That doesn't mean that detail is about the bloody cross. Right. That's not what we mean. No. What we mean is that that story about a Gentile's faithfulness mm-hmm. being shown, like being shown faithfulness to God's people and being rewarded for it. That story yes. has something to tell us about Jesus. Yes, because Jesus rewards the faith of a Gentile. Yes, the point of every story points to Christ. Not every single detail within the text right. points to Christ. Yeah. That and I just offer that as a warning uh-huh. for those of us who get lost in the details and also again some weird ways our church this idea a well-intentioned G- idea of jesus and all scripture is not new it's no. ancient you go read people right after 100 years after jesus died they're doing this work oh yeah and they have fun with it they do a lot they of have fun a little with too it. much fun with it sometimes <laughs> so I'll just say like that happens and we're like anyway that, yes that's totally. all i was trying to say yeah uh but yes okay so jesus is opening all of scripture, showing them how it all points to him. And primarily, I I just want to point this out too, at least for this text, he is proving to them through all of scripture why the Messiah must die. It's very, it's very pointed. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, I think there's things about Jesus' ascension in the Old Testament. Uh I think there's things about his earthly ministry. I think there's things about the ongoing work of new creation in the church. Which is why when Jesus escalates in the next story, he says everything written must be fulfilled. Uh It broadens it. There's a broadening there. But here, I'm just noting this. There's not really anything other than like the the problem that these two people had Mm -hmm. was that the Messiah died. That wasn't supposed to happen in their brains. (laughs) Right. And Jesus is proving to them through the scriptures why he must, Mm -hmm. which was the common track that Paul took on his missionary journeys to synagogues. That's right. He would go in, he would go to a synagogue, and he would prove to them in all the scriptures mm-hmm. why Jesus must be the Messiah. Right. And so it's just, it's interesting. It's an evangelistic strategy to prove the gospel out of the Old Testament. 
It's just like, we don't really do that very much anymore. Yeah. Anyway, but it, like it happened with the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. He was reading Isaiah and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's about Jesus. And then he was converted. Yep. <laughs> it's, like, uh. it's just cool. So anyway, so he, he does that. They're walking and, and they, all of the sudden. Right. They draw near to the village to which they were going. Emmaus. And Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went and stayed with him. So, is there anything here? I, I've not thought this before, but it's uh that happens in Genesis a couple times, I think, where it's like travel this, details, this prodding to stay. Oh, stay with me, mm-hmm. like stay a little longer. I think it happens with like the angels oh, in yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah or something. Mm-hmm. It's probably nothing, but, but I mean, it's definitely there. As you said, like there's moments where hospitality is refused or like denied, yeah. and then eventually accepted. Like that happens. Yeah. I, I also yeah. think this might be to help us like situate them in a time of day. Oh, okay. So he said, I mean, I mean, that's a big. I, why is the t- towards evening and the day is now far spent? We've already said at the top of this podcast, everything right now happens in the space of one day. Mm-hmm. So normally when I read this, I think it's nighttime. So it's almost nighttime. Uh-huh. More than likely, that's not the case. Right. It's probably closer to the middle of the day. And mm-hmm. this is more lunch, not dinner. And why that's important, maybe, uh-huh. is that there's actually, you've already mentioned one of them. There's like a pattern throughout the Gospels of God revealing himself in the daytime on roads. So like Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, he is walking along. Yep. Uh, he's in his chariot reading the Bible. And then somebody comes up to him in the middle of the day and explains that it's all about Jesus. He is converted on the spot. And then there's a sudden disappearance. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a second. Right. Same thing's going to happen here. Jesus suddenly appeared, uh, disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Paul on the road in the middle of the day to Damascus. A bright light appears that blinds him which mm-hmm. is a play on what's happening right here right until jesus reveals who he is and the blinders are taken off of him right you have jesus and the samaritan woman in, during his ministry in the middle of the day it's hot nobody wants to be out at that time and jesus opens her eyes to see him as the messiah and she becomes the first missionary as these people will become the missionaries to the disciples yep. to tell them about jesus so like there is a theme of like Daytime revelations mm. of the Son of God and midday sacrifices within the Jewish system. Mm. Jewish sacrifice. I don't, this one might be a little more specul- speculative, okay. but I was thinking about it. Okay, yeah, t- talk about it. Well, how does Luke open with Zechariah uh-huh. in the daytime going to the temple right. to make his sacrifices and an angel appears to him to reveal to him that a son will be born? Right, John. Right? John. Yeah. And this is, he's going to be the precursor to the Messiah. Right. So you have like, you have like another revelation mm. of the way the story is going to be unfold. G- and now. Oh, I see where you're going. Right. <laughs> and now you have another midday time when the priest normally would be making their sacrifices. And Jesus is about to break bread. Right. Symbolizing his own body. Symbolizing. The ultimate like, sacrifice to reveal to him. Who so, he is. So Luke begins and ends with a midday sacrifice and revelation about the Messiah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, <laughs> it, pretty cool. so like, I think that's kind of fun to yeah. string those things together. <laughs> and maybe that's what he's referencing right here. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't think there's any passage of scripture I'd studied more than this. I've never, <laughs> ever seen that before. That's really cool. Um, so yeah. So let's get to that point. So then he sat down at table. Oh, so think about this then. Uh-huh. Jesus has been walking with them seven miles, right? Explaining how all of Scripture points to Him, and they still haven't recognized who Jesus right. is yet. Yes. So, I was even thinking, like we talked about the insufficiency of the facts of the resurrection, mm-hmm. the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. Now we're really being exposed to the insufficiency of the explanation of Scripture, right? To reveal who Jesus is. That's right. Which is, goes back to like we have to have our eyes opened. Yep. First, so you could be an expert in scripture. Yep. You can know all the facts. You can know how scripture points to Jesus. Yes. And still not see Jesus. Mm. Yeah. There's that dependence and need and yep. humility. Uh, and they sit down at the table with him, and then it's it's interesting because if you're reading this from a, you know, from a first century perspective, you would expect it's their presumably hometown. Mm-hmm. It was their journey. You know, like they're the ones who urge Jesus to sit at the table. They are the hosts. 
Yes. They should be breaking the bread, paying for the meal, leading the conversation. You <laughs> blessing know, it with blessing. Yeah, 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 they should be the ones blessing it. Yeah. And instead we see Jesus doing that. Yeah. Taking the role of servant, host, humble. Like it's just yeah. a cool little It's super interesting. Jesus subverting the cultural expectation moment. Yeah, and then I what it also does, so like let me just read the verse. When mm-hmm. he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> it's like, what had just happened right there? So much happened. So right. much happened right there. Um, he's the host. I also, I mean, I immediately think of communion. Of course. Because he broke bread there. There's no wine here. So I think that they're, di- I don't think this is a communion meal. No, it's definitely right not. Here. But like, in a way, it's the finishing of the communion meal. Like, communion with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus was broken mm-hmm. by the betrayal of Judas and then his death. And now Jesus reveals himself for the first time as himself over another meal. Mm-hmm. It's as if he's completing the meal that he began with his disciples with these new disciples. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a finishing of the broken communion that happened with his death, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Uh, yeah. It's also interesting that like there's this, food is mediator of food you know right. that brings when, revelation when jesus broke the bread that's when he saw them so it's it seems very strange to me yeah and in the, the the greek is when he took the uh um and their eyes were open in the breaking of bread like in that uh-huh. moment right is right, when right. they saw him those are tied together those are tied together it's not just uh a happenstance that Jesus said, I'm going to open your eyes. Oh, and I'm breaking bread. No. In the breaking of the bread, their eyes were open. It's a cause and effect. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Like, like why are those two things tied together? Well, I think, I mean, you've mentioned one. Mm. Jesus is the host. Yes. Jesus is the generous revealer. Yeah. He's the only one who can invite us to his table. Yes. Yeah. He's the only one who could open their eyes to see hope for the first time. Yes. Like what, like, well, I mean, if I went over somebody's house and expected food, mm. but got hope, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> what's on the menu tonight? Uh, hope. <laughs> it's like, I have all these crushed dreams, unmet expectations, just like, oh, my whole life is falling apart. The Messiah is dead. Hope. Hope is for dinner. Hope is for dinner. What a, like, what an amazing <laughs> moment right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, why, why else? Why the breaking of the bread being tied to the opening of their eyes? Uh, I mean, part of me thinks if it is, um, if we are meant to think about the breaking of Jesus' body here, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, I, I've made this sacrifice for you. Yeah. Let your eyes be opened. The gospel became personal. Right, like there, it was like an incarnational moment. The right. bread is broken, yep. and in that moment of breaking the bread, Jesus chose to open their eyes symbolically. Symbolically, connected. and he even and if it is happening at the time of the sacrifices back at the temple, exactly, it's like it's like this really powerful moment, right? Because he, if he's going through the books of Moses, telling them how he fulfills all of Scripture, he's going to talk about the temple, their most important part of their. Mm-hmm. of their society and religion. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk about the sacrifices. He's going to say, of course the Messiah had to die. He's the lamb of God. Mm-hmm. He's the final sacrifice. He is the day of atonement. He would have had this conversation with them. Like if there's gonna be five things they talk about in a seven mile journey, that's one of the five. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so for him, for them to look down or to look up at the, at the sun and know what time of day it is to know what's happening in the Jerusalem. They just left at the mm-hmm. temple to know that this is the time of midday mm-hmm. like sacrifice. And for Jesus to break the bread, it's like everything he said there, God, Jesus is allowing it to just come crashing in on them and be like, oh, the one breaking the bread is the one who was broken for us to feed us. Like he is the sacrifice. He is the temple. Like it all just came crashing down in this moment. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I also yeah. love, I love the idea too, that he chose the breaking of bread to be the way their eyes were opened just because of how and I don't know mm-hmm. if this is personal or if it's right. or if I should project this onto a dictum for all of Christians. Yeah. But it's like I feel like there he centralizes the cross. Like mm. it the central part of the story is the thing that they were hung up on, which is mm-hmm. that the Messiah died. And he's like, No, that's the good news. Uh-huh. Come and eat of it. Yeah. Let me open your eyes. And it was just like he made his own death which, the center. 
is interesting you say that because where does Jesus say that? Eat my body mm. after the feeding of the 5,000. Right. And this story actually has a ton of verbal and linguistic links back to that story more so than the communion story. Interesting. So it's like there's all, I mean, I don't want to get into the Greek, yeah, yeah, but yeah. basically it hyperlinks you back to the feeding of the 5,000 mm. right after which Jesus says, come and eat of my body. Yeah, which is interesting too to think about the order the books were written. It's probably John mm-hmm. in right, or are you saying it was, it was Luke who... It was in, in, in Luke's feeding of the 5,000. It's, it? it's in John's. Okay, yeah, 5, I figured. 000, but I wonder yeah. if it's in Luke's too, actually. I don't know. But yeah, the, don't John, know. the John 5 and 6 thing, I think is what yes. you're talking about. I, that's what I had in mind. But, but it's just like really interesting to think about John seeing the story of Emmaus uh-huh. and then reflecting that moment in his story of the feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Either way it goes. Either way it goes. It's just really yeah. interesting. And the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the few miracles that's in every single gospel. Yeah, which is it's also so. I mean, I mean, that's another really important thing that that bring the that the feeding the five thousand and Jesus in his own incarnational ministry saying "Eat my flesh," you know, mm-hmm. is like a reason why the breaking of the bread moment was the central moment of revelation. You know, yep, because it's just like for Jesus, there is this hunger, sustenance, provision that he means to communicate by dying for us, mm-hmm. and what is required of those, you know, like to, to come to him? Is it to know all the facts? Mm-hmm. Is it to be really excellent Bible students? You know, mm-hmm. like those things are great, but the number one and only core requirement for you to come to Jesus is to take the bread. Yeah. It's just to trust, eat, re- rely on mm-hmm. the bread of his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's the simple gospel. It is. It's like, we've had all these facts. We've been on this long journey. We've opened the Bible. But here, take and eat. And I keep thinking about how, yes, we've elevated this moment. Symbolic weight achieved. Yeah. This is also normal. Right. Any host would break bread. Right. It's such an ordinary act of hospitality Mm -hmm. that reveals Jesus the Christ. Yep. And it brings me back to what we've talked about recently in some of our John podcasts, but also all the times that Jesus talks about hospitality in his own ministry. Mm -hmm. Like, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Yep. There uh, is the gospel story embedded in hospitality. Right. And like the 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 way the first missionaries are built is over a table. Mm-hmm. There's something like efficacious. There's yeah. something powerful when you fellowship with community and open up the scriptures and break bread together. Jesus is revealed. Yeah. That's the first way it happened. And it will continue to happen that way. Mm. Yeah, that's really that's really powerful. Um, okay, so after this moment, their eyes are open. Jesus vanishes. <laughs> Why? Uh, that's the one, when I preach this sermon, and mm-hmm. I preach this text, and I do a Q&A afterwards, that's like the number one question I get, is why did Jesus disappear <laughs> after, after, the, after their eyes were open? Any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the core question of the text and my, no. you know, but it's an interesting question because, Oh yes. When we open the scriptures with new eyes, Jesus is there. Yes. You don't need him there anymore. Right. Because you see him in scripture. Yeah. And like, he is with you in the Holy spirit. He's with which you. He'll, he's about to like breathe on yes. his disciples to give them that, that, that ability. Yes. Uh, it's kind of like what he said in John, what Jesus said in mm-hmm. John, where he's like, I'm going away, but I'm sending the advocate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember, was it Peter Greer? Or, oh, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember who said the the, oh. the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. J.D. Greer, yeah, J- yeah. J.D. Greer, yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. And so, anyway, yeah, it's I think like, you're right. Yeah, that's it. I think that's what's happening. He Jesus disappears once they understand all of Scripture is about him yep. and that they've shared a meal with him. Yep. And think about that again. It's like when we open Scripture and we invite people into our home, we are being hospitable to Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 25, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we are doing what Jesus did. Do you feel alone or without Jesus? Eat a meal with a friend and open the scriptures. Yeah. And Jesus is there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. I think the other thing I want to point out there, based on what you said, is another kind of foundational worldview we have about the Bible here which is based in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. And it's that the the Bible contains and as a window, a cleft into 
um, a vision of the face of Jesus that uh, he talks about how all of Moses, <laughs> again, using that term, has a veil over it, just like Moses, the physical earthly Moses, put a veil over his face. And that when the Holy Spirit enables us, the veil is removed, and like Moses looked through the cleft of the rock to see the glory of God on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. we too can look through the cleft of our Bibles and see mm-hmm. the glory of Jesus's face in his gospel. Yeah. And it's like, that is what is happening here is... And it's, it feels crass to say it this way, but it's like, we don't need Jesus beside us, you know, because we have Jesus right in front of us in our Bibles and we have them in a thousand different ways. Right. You know, well, it's why it's also like, so we said God is the one who blinds the eyes. Mm -hmm. God is the one who opens the eyes too. So how does he do that? You assumed it was the Holy Spirit. I think that's the right answer, but also because of what it says next, Mm. did not our hurts hearts burn inside of us when he explained scriptures to us. Like they had this sense of growing in understanding this burning in them that will be fulfilled when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 in a blame of fire. Right. They're experiencing what it means to have the Holy Spirit in them. Yeah. It reveals Jesus. It preaches good news. It feels like a burning inside of you changes you yeah that's really good and i think that's the goal of seeing jesus in all of scripture is that your heart would burn inside you that the holy spirit would come alive that mm-hmm. there would that and, and ultimately too the goal is 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 in second corinthians 3 again is that as we behold him we become like him from one degree of glory to another and that the holy spirit is doing something in you to make you more like the jesus that you're beholding and what did jesus do in this moment mm. he told people about him yeah he shared a meal and told people about him. And what's the next thing they do after their hearts burn? They go and tell people about and him. And they rose and <laughs> went up and went back to Jerusalem, the seven miles back to Jerusalem, and found the 11, and they told them, yeah. the Lord is risen. Yeah. Man, that's so good. That's the story of Emmaus. That's what really happened on the road to Emmaus. That's what really <laughs> happened. I don't know if like what really happened is like the, the right title for this. That's how we put it in the poll. Yes, but I was like, I mean, this, it's kind of clear what ha- what really happened. <laughs> but like pulling back the veil of what happened. Yeah, so that's been fun. Well, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's our foundational verse here at Spoken Gospel. Uh, and again, I just want to say another thank you to our monthly donors. Thank you. Uh, this is a gift to you and our whole podcast community. Um, but we, we hope this blesses you guys, our monthly donors who are listening to this, who chose this, this topic and, uh, as a gift from our monthly donors to everyone else listening, who's not a monthly donor, this is our gift to you. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's our monthly donors gift to you is that they are the ones who are paying to make this possible for us to sit down. Um, sometimes over a meal, mostly over coffee and water, Water. but uh, (laughs) to talk about Jesus. So thank you all so much for making this possible um, and for for being with us. Do you know what book we're in next, Seth? Uh, First and Second Peter. Ooh, First and Second Peter. All right. So that'll be exciting. Super excited. We'll start that uh, next week. All right. Well, we'll see you guys there. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in First and Second Peter. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.